0: Hello and welcome to my podcast, Become. My name is Sabine Quenberg and I am your host. The content will inspire you to reach your aspirations and become the best version of yourself. I feature interviews with successful individuals from various industries delving into their personal and professional journey, how they overcame adversities and the strategies they used to achieve their goals. We have to become the person we are meant to be first, so we can live the life we are destined to live. That also means we must overcome challenges and work through difficult times to learn, grow and become the next, more fabulous version of ourselves. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's get on this journey together. This episode is a little bit more edgy. It is longer than usual because I felt that the information and insights my guest J.K. Imezi shared with me are so important that they need to be heard. This is an adult topic about porn addiction that is rising at an alarming rate. We talk about the influence that it has on human trafficking and how it can be overcome. I hope you stay and learn about it so you can become more aware. My philosophy has always been this. Awareness is the first step to taking action, no matter if you want to make changes or help someone else. If you like this podcast, we appreciate if you can give us a 5-star rating and leave a short review. This will help to get the podcast and the content in front of more people. Thank you so much for your support. And now let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Become, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to be the best version of yourself, both personally and professionally. Our guest today is J.K. Imaizy. A man who transformed his life journey into a beacon of hope and a path of purpose for countless others. From fighting the dark cloud of addiction to spearheading a a seven-figure business, JK's story is not just about success, but resilience, self-belief and the continual quest for growth. Today, we will delve into profound life lessons that helped him rise above adversity and share actionable insights that can equip you to take control of your life. Trust me, you'll want to listen to this episode from start to finish. So let's delve in. Welcome, JK. How are you today and where are you chiming in from?
1: Uh, Sabine, thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. Uh, I'm coming all the way from a very sunny Wichita, Kansas.
0: Oh, Kansas. Ooh, that reminds me. On um, a play I did, the Wizard of Oz. Yes, I was in Kansas as Dorothy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, we, still, we
1: have a Wizard of Oz museum here, and we actually have a road that's actually called the Yellow Brick Road. When you're driving down on the highway and you look at your GPS, uh-huh. it says you're entering Wichita, Kansas, from the Yellow Brick Road.
0: That is so funny, that is so funny, oh my gosh, well, I am so happy to have you here because your story is amazing and most importantly, it is important to be shared because I believe that not many people really know about what you're going to share with us, but JK, can you begin by telling us just a little bit about your early life and the role addiction played during that time?
1: Right. Well, I'm not sure if your your listeners are, are aware of the type of addictive behavior that I help people overcome and what I went through, but um, it was a sexually compulsive behavior that um, had to do with pornography. And so right now I help men overcome their out of control behavior with high speed internet pornography. But it started for me, unfortunately, when I was very young, I was uh, eight years old. And um, over here, we were what you called latchkey kids, where your parents um, are working all day. So when you come back from school, they hide the key for you somewhere and you can go in. So we we had, and then all these rules, you know, don't let strangers in and so on. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had a lot of freedom as children. Uh, But what happened was once we had a nanny and I remember her reading a, a, a comic book. I loved comic books and I still love them. Uh, but she wouldn't let me read it. Being a child and being very curious, I was determined to find it. I searched, found it under her bed in her room, and it turned out to be a pornographic uh, comic book, Um, which as you can imagine for a child who hadn't been exposed to anything sexual, I was eight years old, to see something sexual in a exaggerated manner and in a comic book fashion, uh, completely changed the way I view sex. And at that moment, even though I wasn't physically capable of arousal because I was too young, something changed in me because I knew it was bad, it was naughty. I had this adrenaline rush like, I shouldn't be seeing this, but I kind of know what it is. And I, sh- but, but I feel good. And it was just a change in state. And what happened was, after that Sabine, every time as a child, all the way up till puberty, that I felt upset or lonely or rejected or annoyed or any strong emotion, I knew that there was a way to change the way I felt. And that was to view nudity. Mm-hmm. So I would always go and hide, and the taboo nature of every, nobody knows what I'm doing, I'm doing this naughty thing would change my emotional state. And this continued till I hit puberty. And then I learned how to masturbate, I learned about orgasm. And that's where the addictive part began.
0: I can see that. But it's so interesting what you just shared that uh, it just changed the state of mind and and the state of how you feel. And that is with so many other things like food. We have actually it's a food addiction pandemic here, at least here in the United States. Um, And because it also makes us feel, feel good if we eat feel feel good if we drink we feel good play or in your case being aroused by, by those images and when you started um, that behavior and that's what everything is it's behavior it's something we do again and again and again now how did it change for you when when you got to puberty and went during that time that it became actually an addiction. I mean, we all go to puberty and experiment, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. We all go through puberty and and we we all experiment, Um, but it's also important to note that that natural experimentation is part of developing as a young adult. Um, However, um, it's also a good time to start building healthy coping strategies. And the issue was that I had been exposed to something like this before puberty, um, in the past, most people who didn't have an unfortunate childhood that had some form of abuse or trauma in it would only be really exposed to these things in puberty from you know, friends sharing it. So because it was already compulsive in me to change my state, it only became more compulsive. So as I went through all the things that teenagers deal with, heartbreak, feeling insecure, acne and um, um, my bo- my arms growing faster than my legs and <laughs> all kinds of, you know, all this, the awkwardness of being a teenager, um, I would go back to pornography to deal with them. I never spoke to anyone. I felt very insecure, even when people came close to me, because I was engaging in behavior which was considered to be shameful. I grew up in a Catholic household, and so it was bad. Uh, there was eternal hellfire for me. it was <laughs> lust and all these things, so the shame caused me to push people away and isolate and By the time I was in my early twenties, I realized that um I was weird, not a weird young man. I was weird because i didn 't know how to interact with people when I hung out with let 's say a mixed group, I was that creepy guy, like I was <sighs> a guy that Women would be like, "Yeah, I don't feel comfortable around him. Um, like, or oh, I notice he's just—he keeps staring at the women." I didn't know this. I didn't know how awkward I was. Even when I think about it now, I cringe a little bit <laughs> to think that that I was that guy. But obviously, I didn't have many, uh, didn't have any actually I- intimate relationships. Um, my friends were equally awkward, and that caused a lot of pain and loneliness for me
0: twenties. Yeah. So um, were you aware that it was actually an addiction that you had? And uh, how did you deal with that? Or was there a point in your life where, or a moment that you said to yourself, enough is enough?
1: Absolutely. It, it was slowly building up. As I got into my 20s, 21, around 21 years old, I began to notice that a lot of my friends, at the very least, had been in a relationship or had had some sort of romantic encounter. Um, And for me, everything was at a distance. Everything was in my head. Everything was fantasy. And then I was also struggling a lot in school. Actually, I had struggled um, throughout my teenage years. Um, I, I thought maybe I had a learning disability. I thought something was wrong. Years later I came to find that I didn't have any real learning disability, that I was perfectly capable of communicating and learning and beca- picking up expertise. But um, the the inability to learn, inability to focus, constant fantasy and inability to build close intimate relationships became a sign. And then eventually I started crossing the line to trying to act out. So I started getting on, on personal websites to Um, find strangers to have sexual encounters with because I would get very frustrated. I would start getting drunk and going to clubs and bars because that was the only way I wouldn't feel isolated and lonely hoping, and I was only going there for sex. I wasn't going there to dance, I wasn't going there for anything. And so a lot of the behavior I would engage in when I would come back would carry into the next day. So coming Mm -hmm. back drunk, paying money to chat with somebody and masturbate on a porn site, going to bed, hungover, waking up the next morning, late for work, for everything. It was that cycle of my life just absolutely falling apart and engaging in risky behavior. Um, I was was too scared to actually like pay for an escort or anything like that because the strong religious upbringing was still there. Mm -hmm. But by that point, I was broke. I had no money, I was about to be evicted. I was getting drunk, and everything I realized at one point, one morning I'd woken up after this binge, come back, I'd gone to school, gone to work, come back, gone to the club. it was probably about four, 4 a.m when I went to bed. and the next morning I woke up and I realized that every single thing I was doing was based around sex. It was a constant pursuit of sex. And then I suddenly realized, do I actually want sex, or do I want a relationship? And as I began to think about it, I realized that it wasn't actually sex. I was lacking connection. Hmm. I was lacking intimacy. That was what it was. I just kept thinking it was sex. And this really, you know, some days you wake up in the past when you've acted in a crazy way and you're hungover and you're just, oh, what did I do? It was one of those moments where I was like, what's going on with my life? And I, I actually started thinking for a moment. And Sabine, that's when it, that's when I realized that um, if I continued down this path, I would be everything that my parents feared that they didn't want me to become.
0: Hmm. I think the most important um, part, what you just shared was that you, you got that awareness. You really were capable in that moment to quote unquote think. And I, I call it you're thinking from our higher self, thinking from our best self, that there's so much more to it, but also the realization that you were lacking connections, that you really were seeking for that love. And we as human beings are designed to have connections in person. That's why that uh, COVID time that we had was so detrimental for so many, so many people. Um, I, you know, I, um, applaud you for what you do now, which I would like to go in in just a little bit, but tell me what you did after you had the awareness, because that's always the first thing. Self-awareness, we have to have that in order to change anything in life. So after you had that moment, what was then the actual action step that you took? Because without action, nothing happens.
1: Absolutely the action step I took was to begin failing. <laughs> <And> what, <laughs> that, what that means is because what I, when, I, when you ask that question, what I think of is, you know, it would be nice to say I did step one, then step two, and it led to this wonderful yeah. thing. But what actually yeah. happened was, as in most cases, uh, you start researching and you start trying out different things. Um, but in this case, it's important to understand that uh, an addiction to something like pornography or something that's sexually compulsive in nature makes you a person who's filled with shame and guilt. So not only do you feel that you're doing a bad thing, you also feel that you're a bad person. Your self-esteem is poor. The way that you perceive yourself around other people is always lower than everyone else around you. And what this does is it puts tremendous barriers that you may not be aware of yet. You may be aware that you have a problem, The next step is you're going to have to become aware that there are many things holding you back. And that was probably the most painful part, was trying to seek help, but then dealing with a lot of this cognitive dissonance, which is cognitive dissonance is when you know you should do something, but your subconscious mind just goes like, but you're not capable of that because your actions don't match up to it. You don't really want to do that. And so examples of things that come from cognitive dissonance would be rationalization, right? Oh, I did this because of this, or Mm -hmm. justification. Well, I don't have a girlfriend, and I don't have access to sex. So of course, I should watch pornography, right? Black and white thinking, well, you know what, since I already pulled up the porn site, I might as well spend the next two hours engaging in this. So all of this came up while I was searching for different ways to help myself. And I'm I'm not even ashamed to say it. I think I used to be ashamed to say it. I was the sort of guy who was, even though I needed connection, I still sought the easy way out. So anything that said, we're going to help you get to the root cause of this, I would immediately go to that. And I I just want to take this moment, Sabine, to say something to your listeners that there's nothing wrong with finding the root cause of a problem. There's absolutely wrong. There's some wonderful professionals out there who can help you do that. But you also have to remember that just because you find out the root cause of an issue doesn't mean that you have the emotional, mental, or even spiritual resources to handle that truth. And that's why a lot of people get worse or are in therapy for many years because they discover a trauma, but then they don't have the coping strategies to handle this reality. And thus they become a victim. They begin to identify with this root cause that they brought up oh, I'm a person who this happened to. I'm a person that this happened to. It's not empowering. And that was the mistake I made. And I want to make it clear, this isn't the case for everybody. But in my case, um, I fell for a lot of of things that were going to help me with the root cause and didn't. And so the first step was I started from the basics. I decided that since therapy wasn't working, the 12-step groups brought up a lot of shame and had me admit that I was powerless and told me that once an addict, always an addict, wasn't put on this planet to, to, be an addict forever. I knew I was capable of more. Mm. It felt arrogant even to think that, Sabine, mm-hmm. because you know I had a lot of shame and low self esteem. So to tell myself I'm capable of more felt even weird to think <laughs> like, My mind to think is this arrogance? I didn't know that it was self love to be able to look at yourself and tell yourself, you know what, you 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 should give it a shot. You can walk through the world feeling. They you're worthy of doing anything at any age, any ethnicity, anything you've dealt with. And to make a long story short, because this is where I get passionate about things. <laughs> also, I can
0: see that. No, yeah. it's, it's, I love it. I love yeah. it.
1: I went back to, I decided that I wasn't going to try to, to do things on a very high level. I was going to start with basic habits. I was going to start with mindfulness because I knew that it was self-awareness that brought me there So deeper self-awareness would probably help me more. So I started a basic mindfulness practice. I went back to the basics of um, realizing that I would be triggered by many things, like stress, isolation, uh, lack of connection, strong emotions. And I had to develop basic coping strategies for all these things. So that formed the foundation of our program. Habits first, lifestyle next, And finally, changing your self-image.
0: And that's what I want to go into next because you took your journey and how you coped with this and how you actually transitioned your life um, to now teach it to others. And that is so important. Number one, sometimes we cannot do it alone. In it whatever area it is. So many people have, even in personal development or business, whatever it is. But of course, uh, this is a very specific uh, topic. And I think it's also a little bit harder to quote-unquote advertise market or for people to even look because of the shame aspect of it. So tell us uh, what you do now and how you actually... Uh, it got to the point to start it as a business? Okay.
1: That's a great question. Um, it took me probably altogether about... Right now I've been free of this behavior going on my 15th year. So November will make it 15 years. Congratulations. But thank you so much. Um, once I had gained control over this behavior, interestingly enough, I never thought about it being a business. I actually went about my life. I joined a a door-to-door, I was in a door-to-door sales internship where you learn how to sell door-to-door and we were one of the last companies going door-to-door selling educational books and Bibles. And I actually ended up doing that for 11 years. Um, And it was while I was doing that and I dealt with my behavior in the earlier part of that, I got to a stage where sales was good, I was a great recruiter, I was a good leader, but at the same time, not to sound cliche, but it it did feel empty. I enjoyed selling; it was nice. But again, we all have that itch. I think sometimes, or we wonder, even if we don't have the itch, is there something more I could do? And one day, by chance, I came across a a forum where there were about a hundred thousand members. I couldn't believe it because in the top corner it said, like I was like this and they were all struggling with porn. And this was a problem I had overcome years ago, and here were people who were struggling with it. And the frustrating thing about it was, it was an echo chamber of things that just did not work, of methodologies from substance abuse that were being applied to something that was rapidly evolving. Social media, high-speed internet pornography, advanced marketing, Uh, habit-forming apps, and people were still treating it as if it was just, oh, it's a substance abuse. Let's use the 12-step method. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was frustrating because I understood um, not just from the world I was in, I was selling door-to-door, but I was also aware of digital marketing and recruiting online. I realized that those methodologies did not work. And I was like, you know what, here is something that I could go into – that I had personal experience in overcoming, and I had the skill sets and the desire and the energy and the passion to do this. So when I first started out, I started out, uh, I would sell door to door during the day, and in the evenings I would come back exhausted, and uh, I first started on the forum, then I started a blog, I learned how to, I used WordPress, and I would just start blogging and telling my story. And I did this for about two years, Every evening, I would come back, I'd receive a lot of emails from guys, and I would respond. And then finally, um, towards the tail end, when I was just done with the selling part of things, I decided to jump in, um, go all in, and put my face out there. And uh, back then, there were probably only two other people online who were doing anything like this. And I don't think they were doing it for, for a living. Um, mm-hmm. And I went in with the determination that um, I was going to make something of it. It wasn't about making a movement. It was really about building something around this. And of course, since then, there are many other people who have popped up who do things like this, but we're very proud of what we do because in the company, we've got about close to uh, 30 people on our team right now. Um, we do everything from a place of very strong values. Uh, which is very important when you are in any sort of work where there's healing involved. But also when you are doing a very high volume in terms of a business, it's it's very important to be able to balance your values, the help you're giving to other people, and the financial aspect of it as well.
0: Yes, and I love what you said. Uh, the The four things was what you needed to have and that you got was the skill set, the energy, the passion, the desire, your experiences. These were all great foundations for building a business because sometimes people confuse building a business just because you know something. There's so many other aspects to it, but it took you two years. You started it out out of your passion to help. And that is the main point. Now, uh, I want to ask you something else because what you mentioned uh, in your conversation earlier was because of how the landscape changed, high-speed internet, accessibility, apps, and so forth, more and more people um, are being exposed to it. And one of the things I am very passionate about is how can we stop human trafficking? especially children. So I have a question for you about that. Uh, I know I, I, I support um, Underground Railroad, uh, Tim Ballard, who started that um, uh, non-profit to help human trafficking, especially children, because he, as a police officer, uh, one time went into a situation and he couldn't do anything. So then same thing as you, he started out of passion this project but the question that i have for you is this we are being uh, desensitized through pornography and i wanted to ask that to you as someone who had experience and also is a male Uh, not to say that it hasn't happened for a female right but uh from your perspective Did you see that you got desensitized and needed more and more and more? And that's my first question. And second question is, through everything that is now available and the desensitization that it goes, well, now I need maybe a younger one, a younger person to get aroused. Um, What is your take on it, number one? And do you think we there is something we can do about it. I know it was a long winded question, but I think you got my 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 question.
1: I think it's a wonderful question and I and I'm always glad when there is awareness of um human trafficking because it is definitely a massive problem and um I'm glad more people are becoming aware of it. It's happening right under our noses. You know, sometimes people sit back and go like, oh I can't believe that the transatlantic slave trade went on or different things went on, like I can't believe we as human beings allowed it. Well, right now we're sitting back and watching as human beings are being trafficked all over the world, in Western countries as well. Um, And to answer your question after that on the desensitization, this is a necessary path that someone has to go through, a stage that someone goes through before this becomes compulsive. Because each time that you view pornography, the way it works is, without getting too deep into the weeds, it's a a behavioral addiction. People are not necessarily addicted to orgasm. They think they are, but we quickly realize, at least for men, that the orgasm is so short-lived. So what do we do if orgasm is so short-lived? Well, we keep looking for material that's going to prolong not the orgasm, but the arousal process, which is why it's called a behavioral or a process addiction, which could be the combination of adrenaline and testosterone and norepinephrine. So we keep that going as long as possible to hold off the orgasm. And we also come to realize that the more taboo, the more shocking and sexual the material is, and also the more violent it is, the more, uh, uh, the better the orgasm. The thing with pornography is that it fuses the parts of our brains that process violence and sexual behavior, and that's why a lot of the pornography out there today is violent in nature. Um, We're not designed to to engage in behavior like that, and actually, Sabine, I often tell my clients that, do you know that if, if you're a client of ours right now, even if you weren't and you are a casual viewer of pornography, you have viewed more people having sex than every single one of your ancestors that ever existed till date just because of the internet. This is the only generation that has viewed more human beings having sex than every single one of their ancestors. And our brains were not designed for that. And there's barely anyone saying that, hey, we are being overloaded. And very primal parts of our brain that process violence and force and sex are being activated. And now you have people walking around who have these thoughts in their head. It's only a matter of time for many people before the escalation of their behavior in order to have a stronger orgasm, the fact that they can be anonymous online, and the fact that. Um, it's easily accessible. It's free. There are no more barriers. In the past, you'd have to get on the bus, go to the dirty side of town, get the magazine, hide it under your coat, get back on the train or the bus, come back, hide it, make sure people didn't see the VHS. Now, you can just pick up your phone and you can be wherever you want to be engaging in any fantasy. And of course, this makes it easily accessible to a wide variety of people. Both people who are um, maybe not fully there mentally. And this is the thing with pornography, Sabine. I often say that I believe that high-speed internet pornography is non-consensual. Mm-hmm. Because when you when somebody sees something like that, it doesn't matter whether they're a child. I was exposed to it at eight. I hadn't seen a lot of sexual things. I saw people kissing. My parents would be like, stop watching that on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people who are illiterate, children, individuals who are not fully mentally developed When they can see that and all of them have a reaction to it and can translate it, it is not consensual. So now they're exposed to it. They may not be able to read. They may not see somebody engaging in that behavior physically. But simply by watching it, they will translate it into something, some kind of meaning in their own world. And it's only a matter of time before they act out in the real world.
0: That's a very interesting um, perspective and also for us to understand it a little bit more. Mm. Do you have um, any uh, future visions or ideas how to combat that? Besides, of course, you're working one-on-one and that is fantastic and great, but it's for those who who are ready and that are coming to you, I need help. But do you have any vision or idea that we can apply now on a greater level to to counteract what's going on, especially the human trafficking of children?
1: Absolutely. Um, I do believe that, I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, the power of business and marketing. And I say this because um, I've received a lot of criticism for charging for what we do. Right? People feel that if you're helping people heal, that you should, you should do it for free.
0: Well, we let me, I, I do have to chime in there because, <laughs> okay. um, you know, here we go. Well, hello, um, hospitals. Hello, doctors. Hello, everybody who's helping anybody it doesn't matter what it is there is an exchange there of of service only because it has something to do that you help somebody doesn't mean that you should not be compensated and i and i know you would go in there but i it I wanna make sure that it comes from me, that people really understand. They are paying thousands and thousands of dollars for some medication that not even help them, it just covers up some symptoms. So here we go. Now I bring the, <laughs> <laughs> you see how passionate uh, glad, I am about that.
1: I'm glad you feel you, you feel the same way. As a matter of fact, just real quick, we had, um, someone had called one of our reboot strategists. So we screen everybody who comes into our program for mental health issues. and. This was a, a rather successful man, and he exploded when he heard the price. Now, I actually rarely work with people one-on-one. We have coaches and doctors and psychiatrists at Elevated Recovery. I just happen to be the face of the of the mm-hmm. program who help men, and we have hundreds of clients. We do lots of big group coaching sessions, support all of them, and he was like, but I want to work with, with JK one-on-one, and this guy was like, that's wonderful, but you do there's some rules because of his schedule and... Um, you know, it it is expensive to work with him one-on-one. He would much rather you are in a group because the group means connection. When mm-hmm. you're with other men struggling with this at the same level you are, you can learn how to be intimate, to open up and stop being. No, he's like, I have the money. I want to work with him one-on-one. So they dropped the price. He exploded. He was like, this guy. Doesn't have a PhD. There are doctors who studied for years and years and years. How dare he charge that much? And the strategist was like, you do know that, that all he's done for 65, 80 hours a week, for 11 years, that's what I've done. I did 11 years door to door, and this year's my 11th year doing this. That for 11 years, all he's done is coach people. He did it for free for two years. He gave up everything, and he did this. And you also understand that doctors are important. We do need standards and safety, and be, you want the person who is opening you up or your loved one up to have the education. But also, don't forget on the other side that a lot of alphabets before and after somebody's name also means they're they're just very good at learning. Don't forget that part of it—that <laughs> there are different ways to learn, right? So I just I, I wanted to get that get get that out there, but it comes back to the fact that. Um, We are very successful. We are very good at what we do. Um, And we're very good at what we do because we understand how to run a business, but we also understand how to be human. And we are human first. And because of that, people respect us. They respect the fact that we will tell somebody, we know you have the money, but right now you're not ready. They're like, what do you mean I'm not ready? Well, you, you take, we, we mark we taking notes and checking off, ticking off boxes as we speak to you. Mm-hmm. And there's some other things you need to do foundationally before you'll be able to go through our program. So keep your money and come back in two or three years. Two or three years? It's like, yes, because we will be here in two or three years and you'll be in our system and we'll be ready to help you. Um, but the power of marketing is that We are able to reach out to multiple people, educate them, and sell them on certain ideas. I think it's wonderful to have nonprofits that have great awareness. Tim Ballard is a wonderful example. But also, a lot of people don't realize that Tim has been doing this for a very long time, and he was grinding. I remember coming across Tim's Instagram when he had like 600 followers. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew about this. No one knew about it. I remember looking at it and telling my assistant, I want to give 10% to this organization and to another one run, run by Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore called Thorn, which does something similar. And look at Tim now. But in that time, he had to do a lot of grassroots work to get there. But in that time, we were able to use marketing and reach thousands of people. Not only to educate them, but to speak to them directly and let them know they have a problem, to educate them on the impact of their behavior on the world. That, hey, you know, I know you think you're just viewing pornography for your own gratification, but do you understand that every time you do this, you are fueling the machine? That every time you do this, you create demand. That the more you get desensitized and the more you need this taboo material, they are tracking your behavior. And if they notice that, oh, look, people want more violent stuff, people want younger and younger individuals, mm-hmm. that they, the demand will be uh, uh, adjusted. The supply will need to be provided. And you have contributed to it. This Is yeah. very difficult to do via a non profit means, but yeah. you can sell it to people. I'm a yeah. big believer of that, It yeah. might be a different approach, but
0: mm-hmm. so, um, one of the things, obviously, is yeah, the algorithm. Um, so, so very true. Uh, that needs to be some sort of regulation in, in that area, but uh. We, of course, cannot in these uh, 30 minutes that we have or even more now uh, solve a a problem that is deep, deep rooted. Uh, but if people want to, if people who are listening to this uh, podcast, maybe themselves or maybe they know someone who they think could benefit from it, how can they get in touch with you or how can they get started? Do you have an outlet like a YouTube channel or something different, that you just supply information for free.
1: Yes. Um, Literally about 98% of our information is absolutely free. And I encourage everybody to spend as much time as possible, two, three years, I don't care, educating yourself. Here's the reason why. If you're listening to this and you struggle with an out-of-control behavior with pornography, One of the biggest challenges you're probably facing is seeking help. You don't feel worthy of love and you're thinking, if I can't control my basic sexual desires, how is anybody going to help me? I've used willpower and I want to tell you that you have not been able to use willpower to be successful because your willpower is finite. One of the first things that you need to do is remember that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is connection. And just by reaching out to people, even if it's anonymously, you've began, I would call it the second step of removing yourself from this behavior. The first step, congratulations, you just made it. Because if you listen this far into Sabine's podcast episode, you're like, you know what? I think I have this problem or I think I know a loved one who is struggling with this. then congratulations, you have self-awareness and you've admitted that you have a problem. If you go online and you search for my name, it's simply the initials JK, and my last name is Emezi, E-M-E-Z-I. Our company is called Elevated Recovery, and our program is called the Porn Reboot Program. You'll find me on Google. Our website on YouTube is the Porn Reboot Channel. Just search for Porn Reboot or JK Emezi. We also have a very popular podcast on iTunes, Audible, Spotify, everywhere, called the Porn Reboot Podcast. And of course, you can find us on Instagram. Basically, we're everywhere. We're everywhere, you just need to Google us. And um, if you're ready to uh, start talking to people uh, about this, we have a wonderful free Facebook group. You can join anonymously, you can post anonymously, You can get accountability partners wherever you might be in the world listening to this and begin the process of talking about this, asking questions, but most importantly, getting hope for change. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I don't care how successful, we work with very successful people, your self-image is gradually being eroded the longer you hide this behavior. It is likely that it is no longer in tune with your values and you're filled with shame. When you start connecting, talking to people, and you see other people who are normal human beings overcoming this, that gives you so much confidence. So just take that first step. Um, We're very easy to work with, I really mean it. Like we never push, we make sure you're comfortable, you're never gonna feel sold or coerced. In fact, you might wonder, why do you guys even charge when you give away so much stuff for free? And really, that's because of the nature of this behavior. We want you to get to a certain point, certain point of control, and then trust us, right? Trust is earned.
0: JK, that was so impactful, so insightful. And I love having you here in this uh, this space and, and having this conversation. I could go on longer I and think longer
1: we could, we could go on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and uh, I might have to invite you a second time. I'd be happy to <laughs> show up.
1: I'd be happy to come. I think you have more things you would to say about sex trafficking and the important conversation around the impact absolutely on the world.
0: Absolutely. So thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your so important message.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to have been here.
0: That was my interview, and if you enjoyed it, give us a five-star review, leave a comment, and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. Until I see you again, always remember, serve from the heart, follow your passion, and live the life you imagine.